my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're listening to Modern Rules, a production of MSNBC and iHeartRadio. One reason social media gets out of control so quickly is we we don't feel like we're using our voices. You know, we're talking through our fingers. And that's a different thing. Of course it hurts my feelings. Anytime somebody attacks you, it hurts your feelings. But when my feelings are hurt, it is generally, I think, because there's some truth to it. All technology, in my opinion, has the potential to sort of create these uh, real frictions in our society. I mean, birth of a nation came through movie, right? It is nearly impossible, at least in my experience, to make a point on social media that requires any level of nuance. If you don't see social media as a blunt instrument, you are quickly going to be trolled, ratioed, misinterpreted, and just knocked out of the game. So as much as we say, oh, the platforms to get your voice out there are stronger and better than ever, depends on what that voice is and what you want to say. The image you create for yourself, the profile, the category you fit into, you're boxed in. And if you dare try to be an actual person, a human, change your tone, have a different voice, well, that tribe that you're in in that social media bucket now thinks you've abandoned them. So my challenge is, if social media is where we can actually be our real selves and connect over that, maybe we need to treat it in a little bit of a different way. I'm Stephanie Rule, MSNBC anchor and NBC News correspondent, and this is Modern Rules. In this season of Modern Rules, I'm going to be spending time unpacking the hairiest conversations, from privilege to political correctness, to try and figure out how we can navigate this changing world 
and breakthrough, to actually talk with and learn from the people who disagree with us and maybe, just maybe, learn something along the way. Together on Modern Rules, we are going to get into navigating the very tricky and sometimes treacherous waters of social media with my guests, comedian Michael Ian Black, Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers of the podcast Pantsuit Politics and digital activist Rashad Robinson. My first guest, Michael Ian Black, is a funny, compassionate, thoughtful human being. Okay, I think all the time that social media is the worst place ever because it's where you get your head kicked in by trolls. Mm -hmm. But to that exact point, before social media existed, the biggest, most powerful institutions, the church, media, corporate America, they were impenetrable. You, You could not touch them. But now, because of social media, every tiny little voice can get out there. And they throw a hashtag, and I could complain going, oh, my God, I can't believe all of these people just, they put a hashtag on it, and and now they've said I'm racially insensitive. Yeah, I mean, I do do see a lot of the positive in social media, and I've been on the receiving end of, of a ton of the negative aspect of it. I will say, for my own, like, just personal growth, when I am less defensive, There are things that occur on social media, criticisms of me, insults towards me, trolling at me, that ends up having a positive effect. But it has to hurt your feelings. Of course it hurts my feelings. Anytime somebody attacks you, it hurts your feelings. But when my feelings are hurt, it is generally, I think, because there's some truth to it. If there's no truth to it, why would it affect me one way or the other? It wouldn't. But if, but if something's hurting me, it's because it's touching some nerve that I need to look at and deal with it accordingly. I mean, if you insult my career, for example, and say, oh, you're just a washed up actor. If that hurts me, it's because some of me suspects, oh, yeah, that might be true. But if you say to me, you know, what you said is racist or whatever, and I react with indignity or defensiveness or insult, I may have to look at that a little more closely and, and ask what, what did I say that prompted that? And at the very least, if I can examine that and look at it and come to a conclusion about it, that's more work than I would have done otherwise. It's funny you say that when Fox news does segments on me at night, insulting (laughs) what I do, but here's the thing, whenever they do it, there's always a little bit of truth that they're right. Mm -hmm. Whenever they do it, it's on like a Thursday or a Friday when chances are, I was tired. Mm. I was a little lazy that day. I was, you know, I was sloppy in my commentary. I went too far. And so, like, a lot of what they do is exaggerated and wrong. But at the heart of it, I kind of did screw up that day. But part of it is they, they are kind of striking a chord. I think forgiveness and grace is something we really need to, to bring back in a bigger way because we are in this cancel culture. I did defend Aziz Ansari last year, and I said, hold on a second they were on a really bad date and there may be lots of microaggressions and and ways that women think they have to behave in order to get men to like them. But that's far different from something else. I saw you this year, try to give some grace and space to Louis CK Mm -hmm. and you were annihilated. Mm -hmm. How did it make you feel? Horrible, horrible for a variety of reasons. It started with exactly what this conversation started with, which is People in private, I'm including, when I say people, I mean me and others, people that I would have conversations with, talking about 
nuance, misinterpretation, misunderstanding, miscommunication, and how those things can spiral out of control and turn into something that they were never meant to be. And I got on Twitter. Also, a friend of mine had, had, uh, had just died. And I was thinking a lot about exactly that, grace and forgiveness. And I was in a kind of sensitive headspace as well. And I was feeling like those private conversations that I have with people where they're willing to sort of give that space and forgiveness and grace to somebody, can that private conversation be had in a public forum? And so I tried, and the answer was no. I felt bad because I mistakenly thought that I had a little credibility in this arena because I've been so outspoken in favor of women and survivors and LGBT stuff. And, you know, like, like just a ton of like just progressive issues. Like I, mm -hmm. I, I've very, been very You've outspoken. You've got some progressive street cred. I, That's a fact. I hoped. And I was hoping that in trying to, to have this conversation, not in defense of Louis specifically, and, and, and not saying like I was rooting for Louis specifically to recover, but saying that I'm interested in the idea of how men recover from this mm -hmm. and using him as an example. I, th I was hoping I could be a little bit of a buffer between those two camps. It turns out I could not. And that was okay. But Michael, it's not okay. Well, it was okay in the sense that I think I did have a blind spot for Louis specifically because I know him. I don't know him well, we've known each other over the years. And maybe I had a blind spot for him specifically because I felt like I maybe had an insight into his intentions that other people wouldn't have. But you also have the right to say, this is my experience with this person. Yeah. Right? I do. But in the end, I felt like the women who criticized me were entirely valid in their criticisms that I hadn't been, I'm a little distant from the event, so I, so I don't want to mischaracterize what their criticisms were. But what I'm trying to say to you is, whatever points you made on Twitter, had you made it in a private setting, you would have been able to. Yeah. Because everyone at the table understands your good intentions and they know who you are. Right. And my concern is, even, not just even, specifically within progressives, you should have some street credibility, yet you got annihilated. Yeah. And I'm saying, Michael was trying to say, let's find a little bit of space here. Mm -hmm. And people decapitated you like your Biff from Back to the Future. <laughs> and th it worries me that we're not giving each other that space. Yes, I felt all of that. But at the same time, I have to ask myself, like, do I grant Mike Huckabee, for example, the same good intentions that you're granting me? And the answer no, is no. No, because it's about track record. True. Mike Huckabee doesn't have the track record because of what he said. Well, but there's a lot of um, what you're asking for. And what I agree with fundamentally is we have to look at people's intentions and we have to give people the benefit of the doubt that in the end, they're trying to do the right thing. Do, and I'm asking myself, do I extend that same courtesy to the people that I vehemently disagree with just on a kind of day-to-day -day policy point of view? And the answer is no, I don't. We're going to be right back after a quick break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. 
Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome back to Modern Rules. My next guests are the hosts of Pantsuit Politics and authors of I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, Sarah Holland and Beth Silvers. These ladies are deep believers in the value of voices, real conversations, nuance, and they've got a very interesting take on how social media should work and how it actually works. I was caught in a tweet storm, so my producer Sam Ulan stepped in and did this interview. A lot of strangers online. Mm -hmm do not feel like they need to tread carefully with someone. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would dare to say that they're emboldened by the distance. What is the fix there, if there is one? Is, is it just social media should be avoided? I think that using our voices is really important. And I think that one reason social media gets out of control so quickly is we, we don't feel like we're using our voices. You know, we're talking through our fingers. And that's a different thing. Now, that said, I don't think social media is the cause of where we are today. I think it's a manifestation of where we are today. I think it erodes it further, you know, but I think it also has the potential to help us. We have some really wonderful conversations with listeners of our podcast online. Um, my life is better because of the people who listen to our show who engage with us on Twitter. That's an odd thing to say, you know, my life is better in any way because of Twitter, but it's because people show up with a set of rules. They come in in a container, right? They understand what we're trying to do and what we're trying to think about and the, and the way we do it. And when someone sort of violates the what they understand to be the rules of our house, another listener comes in and, and very gently and respectfully calls them out on it. We get the beauty of seeing internet apologies sometimes where people mess up and, and start again. And I think that everybody feels pretty safe to do that in our container uh, because we do it all the time. We very publicly say, gosh, I, I really messed up on this. I used this word that was a hurtful word. I didn't know. Now I know. Hooray, I've learned something. Thank you for teaching me. 
uh, it's just a different way. That's interesting because rules might be a big help when it comes to this. It feels like there are a lot of rules on Facebook. No, I mean, and I think the container is key. I think that where we're going with social media, and you even see this in the statements coming out of places like Facebook, is that it's going to be less totally public facing and more honestly how the internet started, which was communities gathered around a certain mission or a certain topic or a certain shared identity that, that they couldn't find a lot of people that shared that identity where they were in the physical space. And the internet gave them the, a way to gather more of those people together. I think we're going back that way, which I think is really good. I mean, I think the other really important aspect of social media when you're talking about politics and, and conversations surrounding politics is that it's become the way in which people get their news. And that is really problematic. Using an algorithm that rewards emotion, especially anger and fear, um, and any strong reactions to news stories to decide what we see first, um, that's a problem. And I think that's that's something I have to even remind myself of. I'm not going to tell you I don't get any news from social media. That would be a lie. Um, but I have to be really careful, not only to make sure that those aren't, that's not my primary news source, but when those stories that really, you know, succeed under the algorithm that are driven by anger on either side, both sides, or conflict, just reminding myself this is not the entire story of this particular moment of, of our human race, of our country. Um, but that's really hard to do. Um, social media, getting your news from an algorithm like that does not reward perspective. <laughs> doesn't reward sort of careful thinking or taking a pause, um, which we really, really need. And I mean, I think that that part is really an accelerant on the polarization and the conflict and the way that we are engaging with each other right now. Do you feel that you see the kind of bad behavior that we see on social media spill out into the real world and interactions that you have with people? Do you see like a change? As a former public official, absolutely. I ran for the first time in my city commission race um, in 2016. It was a very friendly race among my, among the field. It's a nonpartisan um, rank choice kind of vote. You don't rank them, but you only you you vote four times and the top four get in. So it's not a winner take all kind of situation. And it was a totally different feel than by the time I ran for re-election in 2018 where I lost. I mean, I live in Kentucky. I live in a conservative state. And people were doing things that we had never seen in Paducah, like taking my yard signs and spray painting a red air, a red circle. And a, I mean, I'm a city commissioner. I'm displaying it proudly in their front yards. I mean, these were like city leaders, like people in a professional class of people doing this kind of stuff. You would never see that. And I, I ran with a city commissioner who'd been in there for a long time. And she was like, we, I've never seen anything like this. Like the tenor changed. And you can imagine why, right? I think the worst thing about social media right now are the prompts to react to everything. We just don't need to react to everything and give everything a thumbs up or a thumbs down or, you know, whatever range of emoji someone is offering right. I was going to say, there's only four options or something, you know, when you go on there. <laughs> well, and it keeps you in this reactive posture instead of remembering that we're supposed to contribute to things. You know, not everything is just out here for us to say, here's how I feel about that. And I take it and leave it that way. And it's either canceled or it's the best thing ever. You know, we're supposed to be contributing in a city commission race. People should be contributing to that dialogue. What would it be like if that neighbor who took the initiative to spray paint a sign instead said, here are my questions. Here are the things that concern me about what's going on in my local government. And that's how I treat news on social media too. I get a lot of news from social media, but I don't 
view social media as the answer. I view it as the question. A story is surfacing on Twitter. I try to think, what questions do I have about this story? And then I go find answers to those questions in places that I know have been carefully vetted where people are doing work to make sure that that what's being circulated is true. And I think that's just a different orientation and, and an orientation that could be helpful to other people. You know, if we if we stop just thinking the sum of life is right here for me to react to, what's my role in this? Just hold on a second because we have so much more to get into. We'll be back right after a quick break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome back to Modern Rules. Rashad Robinson knows from experience how the power of social media can activate policy, can actually create change. His organization, Color of Change, uses online resources, most specifically social media, to advocate for policies that affect the African-American community to strengthen their political voice. And you know, when it comes to positions of power in politics and in business, there are not a lot of African-American voices in the boardroom. And his organization has been able to use social media to knock down that boardroom door. Twitter is an extraordinary vehicle for what you do. I worry that Twitter is the worst of all worlds, right? Twitter has, is performance art. Twitter decides this is what your profile and your character is. And if you say anything that deviates from this specific role, and none of us are flat, we are multidimensional people. If you say anything that possibly deviates from it, you will get annihilated. All technology, in my opinion, has the potential to sort of create these uh, real frictions in our society. I mean, Birth of a Nation came through movie, right? So many of the harmful images about various communities, people of color, women, have come through our TV screen. The ways in which our telephones were 
were used to surveil civil rights activists from Dr. King to Malcolm X and the ways that television are even used now to create scams on vulnerable people. And so all technology has real potential to cause great harm and in many ways has allowed us to supercharge our ability to move people to action, to create real change. And so I am not one of those people that says technology in and of itself, you know, it will supercharge our ability to make change. I think that there are deep challenges and deep problems with platforms and algorithms that incentivize the type of harassment, the type of hatred that you are rewarded for being the villain. And at the same time, these platforms have allowed for marginalized people to bypass traditional gatekeepers, mm-hmm. to not have to wait to hear their voices heard. I remember when I was working for GLAAD and, and doing work in the LGBT community, and you had mothers who, lesbian mothers who were blogging and sharing their stories. And, you know, you know, a year later, you'd start seeing them actually on TV, mm-hmm. sharing their stories and reaching more people. And so the ability for people to reach the marketplace of ideas Um, can be incredibly hard if we don't have vehicles for that. But just like all technology, when it goes from being the insurgent to being the incumbent, it has in itself bakes in inequality. And it has to be our responsibility to not just find ways to get more followers as a civil rights organization, to get more people to follow us, but to also um, ensure that those platforms are doing all that they can do. It's why we actually run campaigns to hold Facebook accountable for how their algorithms work. We've you know, been in deep back and forth with Sheryl Sandberg directly around everything from how uh, police can get inside of Facebook outside of warrants to how folks can market housing to only white people and avoid civil rights law. I do not think that anyone should think that technology in and of itself is is solely a force for good. But I do understand that in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, um, when people are on their roofs and they want something to do, being able to give people a lifeline to move not just to donate to the Red Cross, but to work for systemic change. When folks were in Flint and suffering that pain, to not just get water bottles to them, but to fight for how we can actually change the structures that put people in harm's way. So how is it, do you think, that we've gotten here? I know that extreme activism on both sides is very loud and powerful, but do we risk taking the whole majority in the middle and kind of labeling them and pushing them out of a really important conversation when at the end of the day, most people are trying to take care of their families and live their best lives. I absolutely do believe that most people every single day are just trying to make sure they have enough resources they need to get the things that they need. And at the same time, we have deep imbalance with whose voices are actually heard, Mm -hmm. with how our whether it's the, our, our government or whether it's our media platforms or whether it's college admissions processes, who actually um, has the ability to be heard and contended with. And those deep imbalances create the fault lines in our democracy that perpetuate and create sort of an ongoing cycle where where people start off is where they end. And so where Big polling may tell us that we are kind of on the same page. What it doesn't oftentimes tell us is all those buckets of places where people are just really being left out. Is there empirical data that shows when you do more than praise a company? We know when you go after a company. We know when a social media boycott is coming, 
that company could be in trouble because many of those companies are consumer product companies. And when the consumer says, I'm not buying your product because of you not taking a position on this social issue or taking the wrong position, but is there data on the other side? When companies do step up and do the right thing, where those same activist groups are then rewarding them with business. I think the LGBT movement is a perfect example of, you know, equality indexes from HRC and and media index from GLAAD serving as roadmaps for corporations to get graded, to want to move up the ladder and then and then get rewarded publicly as a result. But more there, than a more than an award. I think about Dick Sporting Goods, Dick Sporting Goods took a huge risk and said, we are not going to sell some assault rifles after the Parkland shooting. And then they took a 4% hit in sales. And I wondered, where were all those activist groups demanding that they stop selling those guns? Why weren't they buying their sneakers there? Maybe, maybe some of them were, and maybe some of them uh, decided to go there. And, you know, I fundamentally believe that companies over time um, stay in the marketplace because they do make tough decisions and they move even when they're not going to make money. There's all sorts of stories from the civil rights movement of companies that took risk early on. And, you know, this is a company that we've actually campaigned against a lot in Coca-Cola at Color of Change. But, you know, there's the the kind of legendary story of when Dr. King came back from getting his Nobel Peace Prize and none of the local business leaders would show up to a dinner in his honor in Atlanta. And the CEO and chairman of Coca-Cola, you know, went out and forced people to have to show up to this dinner and show up to like celebrate. It didn't mean that there weren't other reasons to hold these companies accountable. I think that we can do both. That, you know, we in, in, in our advocacy work over the last couple of years with Airbnb, we have been in deep back and forth with Airbnb. I think I might even have a staffer who, you know, at their offices right now working, working with them. And we have been pushing them on all the ways that their algorithm was sort of incentivizing discrimination. And more than any other company in Silicon Valley, in my opinion, they put real resources behind doing the right thing. They actually hired engineers. But what does do the right thing mean? Doing the right because thing was they, they, they saw that there was a problem where people were trying to book rooms and they were being denied for being black. They didn't just hire a chief diversity officer who didn't understand the platform. They hired engineers who understood that it was in, baked into algorithms that they needed sort of, they needed to be able to have systems Systems to be able to find when discrimination hit and then to hold individual um, renters accountable for that and create systems to stop that from happening. They went ahead and they did it. Now, we still mentioned to Airbnb and we still campaigned to Airbnb about other aspects of problems that we have. But when anyone asked me about a Silicon Valley company that took a problem that we were pushing on and went forward to do the right thing, I mention them, and, and I do believe that we as advocates have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. I have to be able to say, we, we made this demand. Not only did you like, show up, you didn't try to like, buy a table at my dinner or um, mm-hmm. make a donation. You like, put real resources behind this that could have made you lose some money. You hired expensive, expensive capacity behind fixing the problem. And I'm going to hold that up. Is that why you see 
so much more optimism or beauty in all of these social media platforms or media outlets because they have given a space for trolls, but they've given a place for every possible voice out there. They've allowed us to write our own stories in ways that we previously couldn't. And in the earlier days of social media, they allowed us to get that out there in ways that that helped us reach people we previously couldn't reach. I mean, when you said earlier, we've been dealing directly with Sheryl Sandberg, mm-hmm. that's amazing to yep. me. Anyone in media who's ever f- dealt with Facebook knows she has a fortress of PR around her that no one can ever come near. Yeah. But if Color of Change in force shows up and says no more, she's going to take your call. She's going to take our call. We've sat with her face to face. We have multiple calls with her. We are building ways we are, and we are holding them accountable, right? Like part of it was demanding that they do a civil rights audit then getting them to start publishing where they are at with it. They're going to have to produce another civil rights audit in June. I know that that is because of people power behind us. And so the next piece of the civil rights audit comes out in June. And at each phase, what we are holding them accountable to is the changes that they, and the demands that we have made. And, And so whether it's, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, whether it's, you know, in the last administration, you know, meetings directly with the president. This is, for us, this is not about like, oh, who can we sit across the table from? It's about like, what are the levers we need to pull to actually make change? How do we capture the voices of many people and collectively make them more powerful so that those folks that have the ability to make the decisions that impact people's lives recognize that there's opportunity for doing the right thing and there's consequences for not. Is there a scenario where something has happened, a a CEO, a company has done something and color of change, your first course of action was we're taking a Twitter and we're saying no. Is there an example where a, a CEO picked up the phone and called you and said, sit with me? So I would say that nine times out of 10, Before we go out publicly, we pick up the phone and we call. Explain this to me because I don't think people realize that. What people, what I think what people see oftentimes is a CEO says something. He has, I say he because it's usually a he, he has a misstep. Maybe it's even an exaggerated misquote. And I think a lot of people think, well, the activist train starts up and in a blink of an eye, there's a Twitter boycott with thousands of people behind it. And the next thing you know, that company is run over. That's not actually the way it works. Yeah. I mean, actually, that's, that's th- th- from a PR perspective, you don't create the incentive for people to move and do the right thing if you don't deeply understand, like, what the structures are inside and that you don't give people sort of a, a choice point. But there's a choice point. Like, you can move with us and do the right thing or you can do the wrong thing. Uh, an example of this is right in the after we had been going back and forth for for months with credit card companies who were processing fees for white nationalists. Um, mm-hmm. like you could go on some of the biggest white nationalist organizations and put your credit card number or PayPal number in and buy paraphernalia, sponsor buses for them. And we had spent months going back and forth. And they would say, you got to go talk to the banks. And the banks would say, you got to go talk to the credit card companies. Mm -hmm. And like they were giving us the runaround. And so what we ended up doing, we were like, we started building out a platform called No Blood Money while we were going back and forth with them. Social media and technology, email allowed us to do that, right? And we also 
started engaging our members without calling out the companies, trying to give them the ability. Charlottesville happened. The president says there are two sides. My staff goes in that weekend, finishes up the website, and we then sort of give um, the companies like 24 hours. We're like, here's everything we're about to send. And, you know, PayPal, before we could get out the door, said, okay, we get it. Here's the 30 white nationalist groups we are going to be eliminating from our platform. Um, We will no longer process fees for. And some other groups we had to go out publicly on, Visa and MasterCard, but then they came around and they started listing. And in the process, we were doing a number of things. We were running geo-targeted ads to the companies on Facebook and Google to the employees and asking employees of all races of good conscience. You saw what happened in Charlottesville. You are outraged. It's not enough to be just on Twitter. Your company is allowing these organizations to pay for their buses. So here's what I heard. I'm not alone. I have faced my fair share of social media outrage. And the hardest part about it for me is feeling like I've been punished for stepping outside a box that I never actually asked to be in. And in this political climate that we're in, it paints issues as these black and white moral absolutes. It's nuance that I'm actually trying for. But here's the thing. Social media is just not the place where that's going to happen. And I'm not the only one experiencing it. But here's what else I heard. It is impossible to ignore the positive power of these platforms when it comes to giving people who just a few years ago would never have had a voice, a platform. That is a very good thing. So nobody's putting Twitter back in the bottle. Social media is here to stay. The impact of it is massive. So what am I going to do? I'm going to be more responsible on my own social media. Maybe sarcasm and Twitter aren't partners, but I'm also going to give some other people a break. This has been our conversation on social media. Thanks for listening, bringing an open mind, and helping me create the modern rules. That's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stephanie Rule. A very, very special thanks to the extraordinary people who made this happen. My producers, Julie Brown, Samantha Ulin, and Ann Barak Audio. Michael Biet for booking and wrangling the amazing guests who joined us. Julian Weller for editing and Bill Plax, Michael Azar, and Jacopo Penzo for their recording expertise. Special thanks to Steve Lichtig, Barbara Rabb, Jonathan Wald, Marie Dugo, Holly Traz, Nikki Etor, and Christina Everett. Our executive producers are Connell Byrne and Mangesh Hatigador. And of course, the men who brought us all together, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia, Bob Pittman, and Chairman of NBC News, Andy Lack. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.